Have I ever told you guys about my sneezing fits? Yeah, Jimmy I don't has think so. a yawning fit right now. So, I'm having a yawning fit. Some people are like allergic to stuff and they'll sneeze, you know, if they get around cats or whatever, they'll sneeze a few times and have to go blow their nose and everything. I, I don't know of anything I'm allergic to. Like I took an allergy test years and years ago, so it's probably changed. I don't know of anything specific I'm allergic to, but occasionally something will tickle my nose and I'll start sneezing and I will just keep sneezing. And it just goes on and on and on. And that happened this morning again. Oh, boy. It happens yeah. to my brother. It, he starts going and everyone's like, oh, here we go. It's terrible. It's like the worst. Uh, I, the one that I've counted, I mean, I've counted a few of them. But the, the highest number I got to was 33. And this is oh, in the course goodness. of, yeah, this is in the course of like, a minute and a half, two minutes. It's wow, just, can, can you like have a, like a heart attack sneezing so often? I have no idea. You can wow. definitely feel like you're going to throw up, though. I'll tell oh. you that. Yeah. It is terrible. <clears throat> anyway, the only reason I'm saying that is because I sneezed a bunch this morning, and my throat is scratchy because I sneezed so much. Like that. Oh, yeah. You know that. That anyway. could happen. Sometimes you try and hold it in, and then like it feels like your eyeballs popped out. Yeah. That's bad. <laughs> hey, a friend of mine used to always... Hold in the sneeze, and I would always tell him like something bad was gonna come out somewhere. Eventually, the pressure's <laughs> got to be released. But and then I dated a girl when I was when I was growing up. When I was in like high school or middle school or something, and she would do this this giant build up to sneezes, just like <gasps> and then go. And that was her sneeze. It was this tiny little bird sneeze. It was hilarious. Anyway, how are you guys doing today? Oh, good uh, morning. I, I was going to say my, my, my eighth grade math teacher encouraged us to hold in our sneezes during class. Really? Oh. Yeah. She said she, she taught us how to hold in our sneeze, and she's like, I encourage you to hold your sneezes in. And she said she went to, when she was a kid, and so this was in maybe 1980, 83, and she, so when she was a kid in the 60s, she said, the teacher said, you have to hold your sneezes in. I always remember that when I hear someone sneeze. I remember Mrs. Goodstein insisting that we try and hold our sneezes in, but it's not mandatory because it's not the religious instruction class that she was in. She gave us a whole lecture. We were like, okay, wow. you, you went to uh, medieval school. We didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> medieval school. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to hold my sneezes in. I'll just mute. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that. like, so when my kids were really young, all the teachers were just, you know, in your elbow, sneezing your elbow. And I get that, like, you want to teach yeah. a kid not to just sneeze out into the room, but holding it seems like a bad uh, Yeah, that's what I always thought. It's like you blow your eardrums. Anyway, I'm good. I haven't sneezed in a while, but we have, like, two feet of snow outside, <laughs> which is nice. Nice and, and let's just it, – it's so funny when I, I wake up, just like yesterday morning, I wake up and I just – I go – I could just tell by the quietness because it dampens everything. The mm. snow, because I live kind of near the road, and I could tell. And I wake up, and I could just feel it. And I'm like, "Oh, there's a lot of snow out there." And I look outside, <sighs> and it's like a winter one. I made a little video. I, I've been playing with CapCut on the phone, and so I made a little video of. Uh, and it's funny. I sent it to my friend. I'll send it to you guys. I might publish it today. I sent it to my uh, my friend, and she says it looks like a horror movie. And I'm like, "Oh, I didn't even think about that." And so then I. In Cap Cut, I put like some dramatic music over it. It looks just like the opening of a horror movie in the snow. It's cool. <laughs> so, that sound I, is so, or lack of sound is so unique, and it's just yeah. it's a it's it feels 
so peaceful and it's just yeah. like oh, everything is nice and calm even though hmm. the snow is a huge danger to everybody and and people yeah. die and get hurt because of it all the time but it's just <laughs> such a peaceful calm sound well you guys both get snow more than we do on a pretty regular basis uh, do you under, like for do us, you know what jimmy's talking about when he says how quiet it is after everything is covered with snow yeah there's yeah, gotta be a so. lot of people who don't understand yeah yeah. yeah, I mean, we we have those moments on occasion, but we don't get that that much snow on a regular basis. Usually, if we get snow, it's just like enough to be annoying. It's not like everything is covered and there's a thick layer. But because you get it so you know relatively so often, like it, does it cause you any problems anymore? Does it slow you down, or is it just like oh, it's like it's raining? For me, it's easy because I live here and I work here. I haven't been working at the shop in town as much because of that. So. I have all the facilities right here, so I've been doing that. Here, we're doing more grungy work down the block, which is not necessarily on a timely basis. So it's it's okay with me. I mean, I go a few days now in this weather, and I don't even move my cars. I just am yeah. all completely concealed here at the house. Today, I do have to do some errands for the next video, so I will be out and about. If anybody wants to meet me at the tractor supply later today. In the past. <laughs> in the past. Tractor supply meetup. Mm. Yeah, no, so I, I do uh, – it doesn't bother me. It's just it's just one s- step further away from springtime, which is just a little annoying. Mm. You think you're all that. You know, I went and I bought grass seed the other day thinking I was going to run it around the house. And then I was like, oh, maybe wait a little bit. As I said, mm. like, when when do you start putting grass seed down on the line? It's just like, you know, my zone for like May, end of April, May. And I was like, oh, wait. And I was like – Tons of snow outside. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. We don't get any sprouts up here. I see it every year now that I've been up here for so long. We don't get buds on the trees typically in a typical regular year until like May 15th. Like that's when I start wow. to see buds on the trees. And that's since like, Man, we oh, have buds okay. on trees right now. Yeah. <laughs> but because the world is changing so fast, as soon as the snow melts, there's probably going to be green leaves underneath them. Yeah. Well, we have. We don't get as much snow as we used to. So when I was a kid, there was basically snow on the ground all winter. And now it's like it snows and it melts and it snows and it melts. And sometimes it doesn't free. We don't have long freezes like we used to. And it changes the bug season. So if we don't get a really super deep freeze for three or four weeks, we have a big tick problem in the, the oh. following summer. Yeah. So... There's, it's definitely different. I, I've always wondered, like, did it just seem like it snowed more as a kid? And then, you know. Everybody says uh, it used to. I remember it used but, to snow a lot more. But the, yeah, the, the local newscast just did a thing of like, we just had our lowest snowfall, our second lowest snowfall for February in recorded history here in Northwest oh. Ohio. So, um, yeah, we, we get less snow and mm. it's, it seems to be a little bit more severe, like, Maybe we don't have zero degrees for four weeks like we used to, but we'll have negative 15 degrees for four days. So we get these like extremes and then it'll be 60 degrees two days later. It's so weird. Last night we did a Maker Alliance hangout with all the people that support I Like to Make Stuff. And uh, this guy Dan is up north. I can't remember exactly where he's based. Um, But he was like, I think he said that they had, oh, I'm going to say the wrong numbers now, but it was like, yeah, we've got 
you know, 18 inches of snow since yesterday, and they're expecting another five or six tonight. And, like, my sister's had, like, four feet of snow so far this year. (laughs) What in the world? (laughs) Like, where I live would just collapse. Like, we would not be able to handle that at all. It'd be fun, but we wouldn't be able to handle it. Well, what have you guys been working on? Anything? I'm still working on my Goodwill table. Just finished it up yesterday, and I think... I think I'm going to take it back to the goodwill. Um, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I, I think it'll be a good ending to the video. I was going through the footage. We recorded at the goodwill and the lady working there, she was kind of a, when we picked up the table, she was kind of um, grumpy is probably not the right word, but she was a little grumpy. And she was like, <laughs> what are you guys recording? And I was like, oh, I'm just making a YouTube video. And then my brother, who just couldn't let it go, was like, you want to be in the video? Ob- when she was obviously annoyed that we were filming in her Goodwill store. And she's like, no. And so uh, I went through the footage. And unfortunately, the camera was off during that conversation. I was oh. hoping so bad that it would be in the video. But um, we've joked about taking it back to the same Goodwill and trying to give it to that lady. But it wouldn't make sense. But I think I'm going to just donate it back to the Goodwill. It's a... Uh, um, it's this eighties oak table. I think we just, we talked about it last week and basically we, we hit all the oak, we hit all the eighties. We kept removing various eighties layers from this table and, and redid it with some new veneers and, and some shapes and stuff. And it came out pretty good. I'll, I'll send you guys a, a text where, uh, we took the, we just veneered over the top. And we cut a bunch of hickory and walnut strips and glued them together so it was nice and stripy. And then we cut 45s out of that. So then we made like um, Brian Pruce said it looked like a Charlie Brown t-shirt. So you have these these waves. Oh. And then we took that, cut it one more time into a bunch of angles and put it together. And you get this chaotic, weird, crazy pattern, which huh. I think by the – I think if this – podcast comes out on friday i think the video will be out on sunday so if it doesn't make any sense just wait a couple days (laughs) that's cool looking forward to seeing that and i've been working on the boat i got back on the boat i didn't do a video the last couple of weekends just because it's just been so busy with things and i figured it's no one's going to miss a video or two here or there it seems like no one no one's paying that close attention anymore anyway so i took a couple weekends off and I've been hitting it hard on Instagram, trying to put even. Not that it seems like it doesn't matter anymore because no one's getting paid. I'm not getting paid anyway. But did you guys hear that Meta is not paying people for reels? Do you guys know the details of that? No. No. Yeah, Meta's. Uh, I'm waiting for Philip DeFranco to do the breakdown because he makes it so clear. But Meta d- announced that they're no longer going to pay people for reels, which is no. crazy to me. You know, it's on Facebook, not surprising to me at all. Uh, honestly, yeah. I mean. Some people make their whole living doing that. They do, they figured out they've hacked the system to be able to make more you know enough money to to consider it an income. Uh, I know a few people in particular, and uh, now apparently they're not going to do that. So that's got to be a real a nice hmm. kick in the jewels. But the uh, I am going to make a, so I'm finishing the boat. So I probably have the boat fairly soon. It's just I, ne- I want to take it on the water. So that's if, as long as the weather is cooperating, I'll probably have that out by middle of April. And that'll be nice to finish that. And I've been working on this other boat that's a bar. That's also coming to a close. So that's nice. I get my shop floor back in two big areas. And 
So this week I'm going to do a video where I'm making some chicken coop accessories. I'm going to make some nesting boxes. And I'm going to make a wire basket to tote eggs to and from the house. Oh. And, and I have a few of them, but I always thought it would be cool to make my own and try and figure out some interesting left turns I could bring to it. Now, I don't know how much more interesting you can make a wire basket, but I'm going to find hmm. out today. What kind of wire are you <laughs> using for that? I went to Home Depot last night, and the guy was and the guy was setting the aisle, doing the aisle, and I walked up, and I saw the bin, and I'm like, hmm, eighth-inch rod. And I just put grabbed the whole bundle and took it out, and he just looked at me like, hmm, that's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought a Don't bundle. Don't make me do my job. Of, yeah, I took yeah. a whole bundle of eighth-inch rod. It's probably about 30 rods of them. I just like, I'll use these up. <laughs> I just sort of took them all. Uh, so I got three- and four-foot bu- uh, rods of of eighth inch so it seems a little it had to been so expensive it's it's that's the worst place to buy that stuff i know it's just because it's been a crunch and i don't feel like driving up to albany to get it so yeah it was i had to buy some other supplies too all in i was surprised it was only 200 dollars. i bought some electrical supplies too Mm -hmm. so with everything it was only 200 bucks which in my mind i'm like the cost of producing a video it's getting way cheap you know yeah yeah so I'm going to do that, and uh, we'll see tomorrow if I actually have it done. Because today's Wednesday, and I have all day today and tomorrow and Friday to do it. But no, it's, it's spring is coming up quick. I went and got my passport for travel to Europe. I'm going to Maker Central. And uh, then from Maker Central, I'm going to <coughs> Australia. Me and April are going to do some event in Australia. So I traveled to the city for the first time in a year the other day. Oh, wow. I didn't tell anybody, so now people are going to hear this and get mad at me. I, I snuck in on Amtrak, and I snuck right back out on Amtrak. I went and did my passport information, did my passport interview, and I got that done right away. I do I use a private service, so you don't have to go wait on like a DMV line. And uh, I use a private service; it costs money, but that's that's why you pay for it. So you just go into a quiet office, talk to a girl for ten minutes, and leave. And I did that, and uh, then I stopped at at. B&H, which is right near Penn Station in New York City, and it's a famous photography shop. And I bought the probe lens. You guys know the long probe lens? Oh, man. Yeah, I've been wanting Ooh. one forever, but I don't have enough yeah. use for it. Well, I, I they keep popping up. I keep because I, I looked at one a few months ago online, so they keep popping up. It's like, hey, you sure? You know, everywhere I go, like, mm-hmm. I open my bathroom mm-hmm. mirror, and it's like on my bathroom mirror. It's like, you sure you don't want this? <laughs> <laughs> It's crazy the way the, the ads follow you. So I, I just went in. And the reason I didn't buy it online and is because when you see there's two options. There's the regular and then there's the cine one. And uh, there's the, the – sorry, someone just sent me a message. The cine one. Now, if anyone knows anything about this, I learned the cine one has a gear on it so you could attach a motor so you could focus it as you push and pull if you're going to do a track oh. shot. I didn't really know that. And the guy at the store finally explained it to me. And I was like, I don't really need that one. Yeah, so I got – if, if you see my Instagram, it's the letter Z was shot with that. And my mm-hmm. color temperature was off a little bit. I tried to correct it. And you know when you try and correct the color temperature, everything just goes haywire from there? It yeah, like yeah. It looks like you're in a 1960s uh, rock video because the colors just grouped together. <laughs> Did you have to add any any lighting to it? I know that it has It has light, light at the tip. It has light at oh, the tip. Oh, it does? Yeah, so oh. I think that's why I was having problems with my light, because the light at the tip is probably daylight, and I had a light bulb, and then I have lights above. So I have like three light sources, and they all mix and make some weird mishmash of of <clears throat> automatic tone. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to dip into my chicken coop uh, accessories. I'll start right after we get off today. But I've, I've 
just a little bit about the the rowboat. I got to a block in the rowboat where I just I got to a point where there's so many details that I had to work out. And this is really where the rubber meets the road when you make a boat because there's level lines and compound curves and things that just don't fit unless you sand them 60 times and come back and forth from the disc sander and try it again and try it again and try it again and scribe it and leave enough wood so that you don't oversubscribe, oversubscribe it, make it small. So making all the risers of the little cleats that hold the seat in place. So I got a lot of the, a lot of the thinking is done. Now it's just doing the artwork, making the wood. So I made all my templates. So today I'm going to focus a little bit on that. So that was the blockage. You know, every time something comes to a halt in your environment, you look around and you see all your projects like Bob, you know, we talked about this, the, uh, the Volkswagen, you know, the Carmen Ghia, when you like, when you have something that's just a halting and you know, you know, you got to get to work on it and you keep blaming it on no time, but there's really something deeper. And it's this confrontation that you're avoiding of doing the parts you're not sure of. And I, and I was very severely deep in that with the boat. And so the other day I was like, I have no more excuses. Let me just do this one part. And I think about anything past that. And then, okay, I got past that. Let me do this one part and not think about anything past that. And so just by isolating the little tasks, I was able to really kind of get past the blockage. So that's good. I, I, I'm in the home stretch now. I really feel like I, I, I've, I've gotten past that blockade. So uh, that, for that, I feel like I'm like, oh, this is in the bag. But prior to that, I'm like, ooh, it's going to be in one year in May that I haven't finished this mm. boat. But now I, I definitely see the light at the end of the tunnel in the middle of April. So awesome. feeling good about that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It must be nice to finish a big project like that. Oh, not God. have it's... it just sitting out in the barn somewhere, staring at you at a distance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel bad. Hmm. Well, you're speaking know. from experience. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm just, you know, just throwing that out there. <clears throat> yes, I am. I absolutely am. No, uh, really let's is. see. For me, so we launched our kind of pre-launched our Arduino course yesterday. And um, we're doing, it's actually launching tomorrow when the video goes uh, on YouTube. But we're doing like a like a 25% off discount code thing until Friday. So anybody listening to this, if it's a course that you're interested in taking, then there'll be a link in the description. You can still get the 25% off, you know, for um, basically all of Friday. Uh, but like we've been working really hard on this course and it – it's interesting how long it takes to do something like this because I spend a huge amount of time writing and outlining and building like chapters and trying to break up all of this because we, we cover like basic electronics and the wiring prototyping physical part of it as well as coding with assuming that nobody has any experience with any of it. So we really had to start at the very beginning. Um, but trying to figure out how to lay all of that stuff out in a path that makes sense to somebody without any experience was that part was the big, for me was the longest kind of unknown thing to figure out, you know? And then, um, even once I finished shooting my part of it, then four has just been like heads down editing for a couple of months, like just doing that and building graphics. And there's just so much that goes into getting one of these courses done, but it's done. It's out. I'm really proud of it. People are already buying it, and um, it's exciting to put something like this out that I know people are, you know, not everybody needs, but some people really need it, and it'll be helpful. So pretty excited about that. But to launch it, we were trying to come up with a project 
that was kind of Arduino based that we could make a YouTube video about that was a way to show off the course and what you can learn, but also just needs to like really catch people's eyes. And <laughs> so, so I had this idea a long time ago. I found a methane sensor and I was like, oh, you can use a methane sensor with an Arduino. That's interesting. What causes methane? And so, yeah, exactly. So for about like three years, I've had this in my big idea list. I've had a line that just says fart chair. And that was it. (laughs) And I never really thought any more about it until a few weeks ago. We were like, this is the thing. This is the the video that will show people what you could do with an Arduino, which may be the wrong call now that I'm thinking about it. I don't know if this is like the right. No, you've made the right decision. (laughs) So for the past week or so, I've been, like, I set up a quick, like, literally five minutes, maybe not even, maybe maybe three minutes, prototype. I got this thing working, got some code on it that reads this sensor and, uh, you know, like, blinks a light and shows a little concentration value on a little screen. So I set it up in the house for the kids to test, <clears throat> to gather data, and they tested it a lot. <laughs> It totally works. turns out that the sensors aren't actually strong enough to... Like, there's not enough methane in a human fart to be measured by one of these sensors. But there's something in there that's being measured. I don't know what it is, but it's measuring something. So we just used that value. And then I ended up making, like... I took a chair with, like, a, a hollow bottom and built in the sensor in the right spot and then mounted like a red light bulb and a buzzer down there and so when you sit on the chair and you fart the whole chair blinks and oh buzzes and i'm unsubscribing yeah i figured i'll probably oh, that's so good with this one <laughs> it's so hilarious <laughs> though it's so funny and we set it up in the office and i ended up also making a display with like a percentage display so the chair is in one room in the office, and I kind of said, you know, we don't really prank people on this channel, so it's not what we're going to use this for. We set it up in one room and then wired a display into another room above a door. So it has like a progress bar kind of LED display. So anybody in the office, anytime they need to, can go into this room, fart in the chair, and then outside the room, you see this little meter go boop. Oh, God. <laughs> And so for the past several days, everybody's been competing for, like, the best score on this, uh, <laughs> on this meter thing. Oh, and we man. went – we <laughs> the other day for lunch, it was like, all right, it's mounted. Everybody's got to – you know, it's competition time. So we come back from lunch, and, like, I got Taco Bell. Megan's got Taco Bell. Anthony had White Castle. Josh got some Indian food. So everybody's, like, loading oh, up. Oh, boy. Um. And so our office has been really interesting for the last few days. But that's, yeah, you know, the project, the right I think, word. was really funny. And I haven't seen the video yet. It'll be done today. But um, well, when hopefully this it will i got to read the comments. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not going to read the comments. Um, it's, it's one of those things that, like, is totally innocent and funny. And I tried not to be overly, you know, like, gross or anything. We tried to, like, joke around with it. We have a lot of families and a lot of kids that watch our videos. And it'll either be in that sweet spot of the parents and kids will both think it's funny and that'll be fine. Or it will be just a little bit too much for a parent that doesn't want their kid to, you know, I don't know. So it might backfire a little bit. But have you, um, one of of my internet friends about it and he was like, 
I don't know all of your other ideas, but this is the best idea you've ever had. <laughs> so. Anyway, what were you saying? Have you done any chat GPT for writing Arduino code? No, no, I haven't. I've seen that you can the, tell it to write code for you, but. Yeah, I was just curious. In the video released by um, Unnecessary Inventions yesterday, he made basically made this thing that attaches to your phone, and it anytime your phone is awake, it uses a little light sensor. It keeps track of how much you use your phone. Uh, and so uh, he had Chat GPT write all the code for it. It wrote so he he was like you know it's, there's a timer hooked up to it, and he said do this, and then it would write the code. And he's like, okay, I need a little bit more functionality. We just say add this, and it kept adding to it. And according to him in his video, he didn't write anything by hand. The whole thing was written by AI. And I just found that um, for somebody like me who I don't want to spend the time to learn how to write that, that seems interesting. Hmm. I, I've heard of other people doing that for JavaScript applications and stuff. Um, and I think I think if at the beginning you have a really – granted, I have not tried this, so I have no experience with this at all. If you have a complete idea at the beginning, I could see how that would get you to the thing that you want. But I think one of the things about writing code, about programming, is that you have a general idea, even a partially specific idea, that becomes more specific as you write it. And so I think eventually Mm -hmm. there would be a point where you would get something output from it and be like, well, yeah, I mean, this is like close, but I need to tweak, I need to, I need to do this little thing. And I think there probably will be a point where a system like that just couldn't understand the nuance of what oh, you yeah. needed to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. I guess as a starting point, now the flip side of that is if you, if you, it's like copying somebody else's code, you know, you, you have a starting point that you didn't write, editing that starting point to be specifically what you need is going to be really difficult. So without any experience. If you've got experience, then maybe that's like a perfect way to kickstart it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I've never done that. Um, I've gotten some interesting emails lately about, uh, you know, just responses to things, and there have been a couple times at the end that just say, please don't start using AI in your videos. <laughs> <laughs> huh. I mean, I can see that, you know. but Yeah. It uh, it um, really angers some people because I've done two AI designed project videos. Yeah. The one did really well, and the other one did really bad. Hmm. Um, all, all all about titles and thumbnails, but um, and there were some just interesting responses. There was uh, more than a few people said, you know. This is not cool. I'm out of here. I'm unsubscribing. I'm like, cool. Yeah. See you later. Um, but I, I, yeah, I'm like, it, it was obvious that we're just experimenting and trying to understand this, you know, instead of just ignoring it. And I, I understand the concerns. I also understand the benefits of it. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, I think it's one of those, it's, it's like any other new technology where there's this, there's this big unknown and people are going to explore it as deeply as they can to understand where it fits, not to make it fit everywhere, to understand like where it's going to end up being the most useful. And, you know, that's, you could say the same thing about power tools. You could say the same thing about 
I mean, yeah. look at epoxy, right? When epoxy got really popular, everybody used it in everything, whether it needed it or not. <laughs> and then it backed off a little bit to, okay, now we see the places where it actually makes sense, where it adds value, where it makes something look nicer, whatever. You know, I mean, it's, any new thing is going to get a an explosion and then it's going to settle. But I, it'll be interesting to see how it, how that stuff ends up being used both in design and art, but also just in, in uh, I don't know, in like propagation of, of interesting things. Th- the problem is, is people are never going to know when it is or isn't used in, <clears throat> in, in storytelling. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's concerning. You're, you're removing the human element. Yeah. The other day a friend was over and he, he, he has the app on his phone and he said to me, he said, I might've told you guys this. He says, uh, Tell me, uh, write, a, write a story about Jimmy DeResta. And he showed me the phone, and he was reading it, and like kind of looking at it at a 45-degree angle and reading it, and as he was reading it, it was writing the story. And it was 90% accurate, 95% accurate. Hmm. And it was pretty amazing. And I remember this time last year when there was articles about us because the, the Netflix show was published, a lot of the articles were just amalgamations of what was on the Internet piece through some AI. And it was the first time I was really reading this stuff about, about, about me and knowing that, oh, this is bits and chopped up pieces of conversations because it's the, the cadence is a little off and it sounds like somebody non-English speaking wrote it. It's because it was from the computer, I guess. But yeah. now it's getting so good. It will get so good. And it just takes a human to just give it a quick edit to go back and make sure it sounds like there's not broken sentences and so yeah. on. In, it's, yeah. And everybody's been using it, whether they know it or not. I mean, if you take a picture with your smartphone that's been made within the past five years, there's AI. A, your phone is trying to determine what you're taking a photo of a plant or a person, and then it's enhancing that photo based on the subject, mm-hmm. whether you've mm-hmm. got a Google phone or an iPhone. It's using AI to enhance your photos. Yeah. So this is interesting. So the this is not what we planned, but we were going to talk about, you had the idea of talking about remixes, mm-hmm. and the AI thing works a- into that. It is that. I mean, these, it, these yeah. AI bots are not like sentient. They are trained... By previous creation, right? They are trained by photos that we've taken or text that we've written or articles, like you're saying. So really their responses are <clears throat> some sort of an illogical reconfiguration of stuff that's already available. Whether it's specific text or it's an idea of how to say a thing. You know, it's yeah. it was trained on that stuff. Um but I mean you were wanting to talk about the kind of is anything new remix idea right david yeah yeah what i wrote down was are there any new ideas or is everything just a remix Hmm. and and then uh as we're as i said that to you before we hit record and then i was thinking has there ever been new ideas or has everything always been a remix well, I, mean, do you, I think you guys, eventually there, originally there was at least one idea somewhere, you know? I mean, there had to be something. I suppose. I suppose. Well, could you imagine, so if you, you could research this, there was sometime around the 1700s or the late 1800s or the early 1800s, the patent office was like tightening their budgets and somebody suggested, let's just turn the patent office off because there's going to be no more inventions. 
We've, we've hmm. basically have all the hmm. perfect farm equipment hmm. we're ever going to need. We have all the processes. We have all the medications we're ever going to need. We don't need the patent office anymore. So that was 200 years ago or 150 years ago. Now, could you imagine, let's get that guy wherever he is in his knickers and bring him forward and say, look, <laughs> do you know what this is? This, And then he would basically think he was <coughs> another planet. The idea of an iPhone or just grab yourself from 20 years ago and bring yourself here and be like, look, oh, yeah. you know, look at this thing. You're like, whoa, what is going on here? So are there new ideas? I believe that there are still brand new ideas that could come forth. Occasionally you see that one invention, even if it's a practical stupid thing at the hardware store and you're like, wow, this is, this is cool. I don't need it, but this is cool. This is useless, but wow, this is cool. You know, you do that a few times a week. If you go to Home Depot and whatever. Are, are you talking about a, a probe lens? Probe lens. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. I don't need it, but this is great. <laughs> <laughs> Just any kind of like new helpy tool, you know, I've seen on TV. But as far as technology goes, there's always that one app that you're like, oh, oh. You know, it doesn't happen often anymore because everything is, is – you just got to really, 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 really get past all the low-hanging fruit. But I believe there are still new ideas. Well, I think one thing that's interesting about this conversation – I think I feel like we've talked about this before because there have, are yeah. groups of videos that are about the you know how certain things are remixes of other things and those remixes of other things. But you're talking about, like, are there new ideas? <laughs> this is like a meta view of that. But you kind of have to clarify what the idea is. Like, wh- which part are we talking about here if we're talking about something new? Is it a new, like you're saying, is it a new use for a certain thing? Or is it a new way to do something else? Those are different, right? Yeah. A new use for a screwdriver means you could use it as a hammer. A new way to turn a screw means you come up with something other than a screwdriver to do the thing. Right. Well, or, like 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 Andy's conceal, like a pika pika screw. You know the the head conceals. That's an altogether new idea. Yeah. 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 But I, so like it's easy to say that there's no new ideas in that um, there's no new things to be done, but there's new ways is to do a, the things that we already do. You know. Is that a new idea or is that just a new way to? Make a hidden screw. There's been hidden screws before. Well, that's what I'm asking, though. Like, wh- which part is the idea? Is it is right, it the new right. the new creation, or is it a new usage, or is it a new uh, way to execute? Like, those are individual things. And so it's easy to, yeah, so to, it's to lump everything together. Well, it's easy to to lump it all together and be like, yeah, everything is a remix of well, something done. Here's, before, here's an but- interesting thing. If we're going to break apart Andy's idea, um, it's. Pika screw, if you haven't seen it, it's a screw that has a, a – it's it's apparent right there once you're shown it, but you can't see it until you're shown it. It's the, the surface dimples in and creates a lock so you could unscrew something. But the, I, what I found interesting about Andy's thing is that the technology behind being able to cut a piece that fits so supremely inside of another piece that you can't see the mating line. So the technology got to a point. That's not something you probably could have done 25 years ago, or at least mm-hmm. with, the, with, the, with the ease you can do it now. Because you can do a wire EDM cutout of the positive and then the negative, and then you have two pieces that mate so seamlessly that the line disappears. And that's the beauty of his invention, is that the line is, is not apparent. And then once it's apparent, it's almost like a magic trick. It's almost like 
it's it's like the floor is lava and all of a sudden the floor turns into lava and you're like, whoa, what's going on here? But in reality, it, that's the little experience you have. So the invention really is like, is the experience you have when you're tightening or unscrewing the thing. It's just a screw, but the cool part of it is when you reveal the recess. And I feel that, again, that, that invention is, it's a use of a couple of things brought together to make something new. Because nobody would try and hide something in plain sight and see if they can get away with it as easily as like like that. I mean, I guess magicians do it all the time, but makes sense. No, no, yeah, it make sense. yeah, it does. And <laughs> I'm not sure if it makes sense to me. Well, it does. I mean, it's like the. I guess that's kind of what I'm saying. There is the 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 thing. It's a screw. That's not the event invention. It's how you access the thing. Right. And so is that idea of access, is that new enough or is that, to, you know, to be seen as a new thing or as a remix of something else? I, and then, but I, I think another big part of this is, you know, we're looking at <clears throat> when we think about reuse of ideas or, m- you know, modifying an idea, we're looking at our own um, uh, historical collection of, of like, documentation, right? All of the things that each of us have ever seen, ever experienced, ever watched happen, ever used, those are the things that are informing what we can remix. And so if I am on an island and I've never seen anything ever, but I come up with an idea, that's a new idea. Whether somebody else has done it or not, it's a new idea because it's not based in me. It's not based on somebody else, I would posit. And so I think that one of the reasons everything feels like a remix now from that perspective is because everything is so documented. A hundred years ago, things were still documented, but not anywhere close to the way they are now. A hundred years before that, you could have entire like groups of people coming up with weaponry that were exactly the same independently yeah, out of necessity. You know what I mean? And so I think the further you go back, the less documentation there is of people creating things, coming up with ideas, uh, building civilizations and, you know, governmental systems and stuff independently, even if they were exactly the same. And so it becomes super easy for us to just be like, well, yeah, everything's like the thing that I saw when I was a kid or when I was a teenager or whatever, because I saw it. That's not always been the case. So I don't know if it's any different or if it's just we can see it. So what um, happens now is we're all human AI ro- bots. We're 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 not we're in we're reality intelligent. What's the opposite I mean, of artificial intelligent? We're yeah we're being trained on the things that we've seen, and that's what we use. To and we create. all and we all regurgitate. It's all a simulation, man. <laughs> we all regurgitate <laughs> a big. Well, I I did it. I had a, a TEDx talk. It's out there. You could find it. I did it at a high school about ten years ago, and I talked about the more input in your brain and I called it the slurry that just like is on like all it's like it's like the garbage juice that drips out of a garbage truck in the city that's at the bottom of that's like what your brain sits in and all that juice is all the different things that you take in and then your brain like sucks up out of the juice and then brings to your forefront the idea of a new egg basket a combination you know it's like an egg basket with uh, you know someone's face on it you know, for no reason because the AI is coming up with, you know, the, the, the reality eye, what would you call it? Just the intelligence? You leave away the word, you leave away the, leave out the artificial word. 
Yeah. IRL, yeah. IRL, the IRL intelligence. I- <laughs> IRL, <laughs> to speak to her. I R I L I has uh, has uh, you know the wherewithal to to put Kermit's face on the 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 egg basket just because he's having fun. He meaning me mm-hmm. is having fun, but then you know oh, that's kind of stupid. So let me put out thirteen, and your brain goes through hundreds of things until you come up with one that's like practical, suits the needs, has a little bit of a new invention. But, you know, mm-hmm. I always say I always say if you if your brain could put out the G code in a day, it would be millions of lines long, millions of lines long of the thought process that goes into, you know, what is the cut path for me to make this boat, for instance? What is the cut path for me to use cut path and G code interchangeably? What is the G code for me to make coffee this uh, morning? What is the G code for me to to turn on the computer today, like all those things. And then all the, all the like, oh, let me turn on the, oh, let me move this out of the way. Let me plug that in. Let me turn on my, my, my light. You know, all these things go into the IRL intelligence when it, when I'm thinking about trying to invent something. I don't think my G code's very efficient. So let's say I want to go turn on the computer. <laughs> my hand gets distracted by the coffee mug that's right by the computer. So then I'm going to drink some coffee first, then turn on the computer. I'm saying all. You, that, I'm saying mm-hmm. that that's all part of the G code. All that goes together to ultimately spit out an egg basket. I just keep using that because that's my week's project that spits out a wireframe egg basket. All that goes into it. You know, touching the coffee, grabbing this because the whole time it's it's in the, it's in the background. It's like I'm going to make a giant. I'm going to make a giant super soaker. You know, because Bob, that's what you made. And the whole that week you're making that super soaker. Everything you're doing is going into that. What is it going to be? That super soaker. How is it going to be made? Is it going to be plywood? Is it going to be plastic? Where do I get it? Where do I get a tube with round ends? Where do I get the hose? Is it going to work? You know, where am I going to stay when I'm with Mark? You know, like all these things go into that AI or that IRL I. So when you get there, it all goes into the invention. Hmm. Now, Does that make sense? Do you guys, when you're making something physical for yourself and you're inspired by another designer, do you ever try to make something exactly the way you saw it to learn the process? Or are you always trying to put your own spin on it to make it unique? Your own I personally am always put my own spin on it, and, for, and I'll give you an example. At Workbench Con, I met a, a, met a dude, and uh, he came to me and said, look, I'm going to make plans. He's probably listening, so thank you. He says, I'm going to make plans. Uh, I'll make plans of your work, and, you know, we'll, and I'll, take, I'll handle it all, and you know, we'll do a profit share. And I like that idea because then I don't really have to be that involved. And he was asking me, what, what do you think about how accurate should we be? We had a little meeting. And I said, I go, honestly, as long as it looks like the – the image on camera, you can make up your own dimensions. It doesn't matter because my goal is to get people to take that and do their own version of it. If they want to make it exactly, they could follow the plans and get exactly what the thing is. But I'm really encouraging them to, to color outside the lines. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I personally like to color outside the lines. But, but I, f- I, 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 I think I'm the same way. Yeah, I, I don't ever remember trying to replicate something exactly except for a prop but that, there's a little different motivation there um i think i've i just naturally want to make something that has my own spin on it I, I think just so i don't feel like i'm copying it feels like it's an evolution rather than a copy but i, I guess this goes back to like the whole you know you were asking earlier it like is it okay to copy stuff 
Like, so all of this remix talk and all of the taking what you've, the stuff you've been trained on and making another, the next iteration or amalgamation of things, is that bad? Is like being inspired by a style or a specific item and then making the next step, is, is that a bad thing? We talk about that. So. I, I mean, I say it all the time. That's the only way to get good at it is to just keep making it over yeah. and over and over again. And uh, by the way, uh, I was talking about Brett, Brett Cope, and he's going to take my plans and and he's gonna, we're going to start with five projects and turn them into a little website and see where it goes from there. But um, the the idea of iteration, I think, is is really one of the most important things as a designer, as an artist, to make one thing and say I'm done. And then go to the next thing and say, I'm done. To go to the next thing and say, I'm done. I don't think you could really mature as a designer if you just keep doing one thing and moving on. I think you really have to iterate on each one of those things. It, it makes you more of a mature problem solver, somebody that's more willing to be able to handle anything that comes at them. That's it. I think you, that's the goal is to be able to look at anything and go, yeah, we could we could design our way out of this situation. Ooh, we could design our way out of this. That's I never yeah. think about that, but you, I'm constantly in that position. Yeah, yeah. And oh, I just want to just one thing on my other point where day to day, like when we're we're iterating in our mind, or we're doing IRL intelligence on, for instance, again, the example at hand is the wire basket, and in my own globe, if you could imagine a globe around my head, and um making coffee, thinking about the wire basket, grabbing the, my backpack, thinking about the wire basket, doing this. And then when somebody pops that bubble and goes, hey, did you watch uh, Yellowstone this weekend? And I'm like, what? I was busy thinking about my basket, drinking coffee, eating lunch, and doing my own thing. What? Uh, did you watch Yellowstone? I'm like, I don't care about the Yellowstone. And then all of a sudden, like, my bubbles burst. So there's, like, a G code. It's like someone's pouring, like, water on my keyboard, you know? That's, <laughs> that's, oh, so man. for me, that's why I like to be, like, in silence all the time. Not silence, hmm. but, you know, I like to be, like, yeah. left alone. You know, like, I would always joke when I would hire a new assistant, I'd be like, do you talk a lot? Because <laughs> you can't. Because you're not allowed to. You're only allowed to talk to me about things that are important, you know, in reference to the project at hand or whatever. But, you know, when someone's just chit-chatty for the sake of being chit-chatty, mm. it it screws up my, my G-code. It's like, don't mess with my G-code. I'm writing G-code mm. in real time and you're messing with every aspect of it by asking me something that has nothing to do with what's going on in this room. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think back what, to... Uh, when I first picked up the guitar and I think the first song, maybe the first song that I learned was smoke on the water. And it's probably a lot of people's first song. And at that time, Nirvana was really huge. So I learned a lot of Nirvana songs and then my songs sounded very similar, just much crappier. And I, I, I think even though I was trying to copy a certain style the way because of my experience my skill the equipment that i had it still sounded like me so it still it was yeah. nirvana ish but it was it was crappy and i it's really really hard to copy somebody exactly you have to really try i think to copy somebody exactly without putting your own spin on it 
No, it's funny. When, in the beginning, when my style was catching on, a lot of people would say, oh, I love what you do. And then they'd write me back a week later and they'd be like, or a month later, they'd be like, well, I made my first video and it looks exactly like yours. So I hope you don't mind. And I never did. Uh, I thought it was a, fl- it was a flatter. I was flattered by it. But then when I would watch it, I'd be like, wow, this, I mean, that's obviously inspired by me, but there are certain aspects that I would never do, but I like what they've done. And, and mm-hmm. it's just the same thing. So I think it's important as any artist to start out doing what, they admire and then slowly turned it into their own. I mean, it will only become your own. This quote of mine that's been bouncing around, I said it last year at Maker Central, is just like everybody has an individual voice, an individual facial feature, what you do with your hands and your mind is also going to be individual to you, no matter what. But yeah. from like a thousand mile view, everybody has a, ha- a head and a face and a, and a set of eyes. So we all look the same. But as you get closer and closer and closer, Everybody's individual, everyone's voice. You know, we all have, uh, you know, the English accent, but when you really zero and closer and closer, our English accents are very different. Mine's regional, even where I live, and so are all of ours. And so is our thinking, our way with our hands, the, the way we hold tools, the way chisels, the way we keep our tools. You know, you see guys that have super sharp chisels and their woodwork reflects that. You have guys that have non-sharp tools and their woodwork reflects that and both might work for for yeah right like me like i buy a (laughs) i buy a perfectly sharp set of chisels i put them in my drawer and something happens like the unsharpening gnomes come and at night they like take emery board and rub the ends of all my chisels like those chisels cost me hundreds of dollars because they're brand new sharp and i can't cut end grain with them why you know they did the day i opened them i put them in the drawer and then then the the unsharpening gnomes come I think David, you know, bringing up the music is a really good example of why it's why it's necessary. Because I mean, you're totally right. It is very difficult musically to copy someone exactly because th- the music that you hear is made up of so many different things. It's not one thing. It's it's instrumentation. It's actual like skill. Jimi Hendrix it's, and John Bonham. It's a voice. Like the it's signatures timing. come through all that. Yeah, and and so like. Trying to recreate something exactly is practically impossible, really. I mean, you got to work really, really hard. But, you know, you can also look at the kind of historical music family tree and see the music that we have today. You can trace it very specifically by song, by album, back to where it came from and where that came from and where that came from. And you can follow it all the way back to see that everything that we listen to is... Uh, you know, it's derived from something before. It's based on, but not exactly like the thing before it. Um, and you know, if we didn't have that as a society, didn't have that kind of remix mentality, we would still be like beating on animal skins and and just doing the same basic rhythm that we did at the very very beginning. Uh, but you can see like how varied the you know musical stuff is now, just because somebody grabs this one part and they tweak it a little bit, which creates a new branch of the tree, you know, and that's how you get R and B and that's how you get jazz and blues and rock. And, you know, you get all these things and then rock splits into hard rock and soft rock and alternative rock and, you know, whatever. And I mean, that's a necessary part of, of us like not being the same. And I would say the same is probably true for design, visual design. I, I couldn't follow that path backward as easily as I can music, but so, I mean, I would say that the the whole like being inspired by being learning from the previous thing and then adding your own spin, remixing, I think it's I think it's part of what makes us 
uh, a really diverse kind of creative community, I would say. Yeah. There was a, um, there was a video that I watched, it was probably a couple of years ago by now, but it was Nirvana's Come As You Are. And is it, is it a ripoff of uh, a band called The Killing Joke? And it's very similar. But then the maker of the video goes, well, is the Killing Joke song a ripoff of this other song? And it goes back. And it just keeps going back generations. And yeah. it, it, where is the originality in there? It does sure. all kind of sound like a, like, a, like a remix. I heard an interview with Dave Grohl one time. This blew my mind. So I was huge, am huge Nirvana fan as well. And this interview was him and uh, somebody else. And they were asking him where the drum fill came at the beginning of Smells Like Teen Spirit. And he was like, oh, oh yeah. I stole that from this disco band. I think it was like Casey and the Sunshine Band or something like that. And he, they played the clip at the beginning of this disco song. And it was totally the, you know, that. <laughs> and he was like, and he was admitting it was a straight rip. Like I listened to disco and then I ripped it off and I put it at the beginning of a song. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> the, I the same interview that. he talked. That same interview, he talks about ripping off other disco fills in there, and mm. he gives examples. So it's not just that blickum blickum blickum. There's some other ones yeah. in there too. Yeah. Um, yeah, that kind of blew my mind as well. But that, I mean, that's proof that it, it's it's not a bad thing. Like I didn't have the learned, you know, historical thing to go. Oh, I've heard that before. I know that he took that. It doesn't matter. Like in the context of what I was listening to, yeah, it was new. So, yeah. And another thing I was thinking about while we were talking is that you, you can't look at, like, if you look at the, the AI stuff, you cannot look at the AI thing that is happening right now as an individual moment in time. It is the next step on top of the thing that happened before and happened mm-hmm. before. It could not have happened if people were not doing the work that they did five years ago based on yep. the people that – we're doing work five years before that based on computing starting in the seventies, you know, personal computing based on big giant room computers before that. You know what I mean? It's like none of this stuff is truly standalone. To think about photography. And I'm old enough to know that if I mention this, there are going to be people that'll be like, really? I didn't realize that. Talk about photography. When I learned how to use a camera in the eighties, a regular standard camera where you had to adjust your shutter speed you had to adjust the uh, ISO of the film you choose, whichever film, whether it's ectochrome or daylight or or whatever, ectochrome or kodachrome or whatever temperature, whether it's black and white, 400 speed, Ilford, all these different types of film. You had to choose what you wanted. And then when you go out, you got to read the light meter and know that if you go a little over the light meter this way, a little under that way, if you want some motion blur, all that type of stuff. Now the camera on your phone made all those decisions for you. So Dave, when you were saying how the camera has AI, that's a very good example. When you think back and you were given a camera, you had to put the film in it, and then you had to decide, okay, um, what is my light sensitivity? I I have, I remember buying a, when I would shoot film, motion picture film in my Aeroflex camera, which I did for one summer before digital became the thing. I had my uh, my light meter, and I remember how important it was to have a light meter and like check like right under the subject's chin, like the meter. I, occasionally, that like churns up in my stuff, and I look at it, and I'm like, I remember buying how important this was, and now you don't need it at all. I mean, some photographers <laughs> still pull it out, you know, because they're just so old school, but you don't need it at all. The camera does all the thinking for you. 
Or it's digital. You take one picture and you're like, oh, let me lighten it up. And then you just change the dials a little bit. Where in the old days, you didn't know what you got until you came back from the lab. So you'd shoot Mm -hmm. all day long, bracket to make sure that you got at least a good one out of three versions of the shot. You go above, below, and in between. But now you just shoot one picture and get a reference. At that time, you had to make all your decisions at the point of clicking the shutter. Now you make the decisions on the computer because the cameras have more dynamic range. So if your lighting isn't perfect, you can fix it in post. And Mm -hmm. whether that's good or bad, that's just how things are. And you have more options now. You can make creative decisions later instead of earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess in any case like that, you still got the kind of, you can, you can make decisions before and or after like editing in the camera. You know, you can only shoot the parts that you think you're going to want to edit or you can shoot everything and then have to deal with it later. It's the same idea, I guess. So I would say in my response to this whole, like the AI thing, the remix, the taking other people's designs and iterating, whatever, I think it's a natural part of what we do as creative people. I think it would be really bad for us if we didn't, if we tried to completely avoid that, because it's not, it doesn't make any sense not to. I think one thing that gets missed a lot is respect for the thing that you're inspired by, that you're building on, that you're whatever, is I think a lot of times people want to prove that they have a new idea at the expense of, of you know, giving recognition to what led them there. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I think a lot yeah. of times we can be very easy. It can be very easy to just be like, I saw this thing on Instagram a while back. I took a picture of it. I don't know where it came from, whatever. It doesn't matter because it led me to this thing. And now I'm going to act like I have this brand new idea. I think it's far more beneficial to other people to see that. Share the path. Yeah. To see that like you don't have to start from zero. Nobody. We've just given a hundred examples of. Nobody starts from zero. Everybody starts with learned stuff. And if you can like honor the thing that inspired you, give them some credit and also let other people know that it like it's okay to be iterative. I think that's a good thing. It's, it's not always easy to do that because we have so much of that garbage juice in our brains. Sometimes we don't know where the source <laughs> comes from. And we might think we have a totally original idea, but yeah, I, I saw the, that on Instagram five juice. years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, well, you know, you know there's, there's stuff that we saw when we, when we were children that we have no idea what it was, where it was, how it got into our brain. It's still there. Obviously, we can't do that about everything. But, it, you know, I think in the design world, in the music world, maybe maybe that's harder to do, too. But I think just giving recognition publicly or somehow to the thing that led you to where you are, I think is beneficial more than it is like, you know, making you look like you're just copying, in my opinion. But, Jimmy, you were going to say something? Uh, I was going to say, I always, if I think I have a new invention, I always put, for instance, the barbecue pit that I made where you crank the lever and it goes up and down by scissors on both sides of the grill. I put that out there thinking, okay, somebody must have done this somewhere in the world. And I'll find out in about 10 minutes when I publish this video because right away people are going to be like, oh, Bill Smith made that in Argentina at 75. I still haven't gotten that. No one's told me that. No one's told me that it's been out there. Everyone sends me the video of the, the, the grill. When you pull the lever, it flips, which is also a really cool invention. You pull a lever and the grill like literally does a 180 flip, but you have to sandwich mm-hmm. all your food in there so it doesn't fly off. It's like two grills that sandwich cooking meat, and then you pull the lever and it flips over and flips back. 
And that also, when I saw that flip grill before I made my raising and lowing grill, I saw that and I was like, oh, should I make one of those? And I was about to make that. It would have been me making somebody else's thing, but trying to put my own spin on it. And then because of my research, seeing that and several other things, I came to the conclusion of the scissor lift. It also, because I have a scissor lift to change the light bulbs in my shop. So all that slurry at that time led me to make a barbecue grill that just goes up and down. And from what I can tell, I mean, it's not patented. Anybody can steal it and go manufacture it. From what I can tell, I think I made the first one that does exactly that. But I had no idea. I wasn't 100% sure. And I knew the comment section would set me straight. So I put it out there. It's like, hey, I just made this. I don't know if it's an invention or not, but I made it. Yeah. I didn't claim that it was some brand new thing. I didn't patent it. I got involved with a company that wanted to manufacture it, and they rushed to patent it because it had been published for still under one year at the time. And ultimately, it never. Then COVID came, and nobody wanted to make anything ever again. So we didn't cool. manufacture the barbecue pit. Not dramatic at all. <laughs> Any other uh, thoughts on this topic? What, what, one more thing before yeah. Brian uh, sends me uh, um, a message. I am very familiar, and I love the quotes by Mitch Hedberg. I remix a remix and was back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> I remix a remix and it was back to normal. That's mm. funny. Cool. Well, I'm going to thank our Patreon supporters who are awesome. Uh, and they all get the after show, which we're going to record after this. And I don't know if we have anything interesting to talk about or not, but we'll figure it out. Um, I have some sad news. Oh, no. Okay. Well, uh, big thanks to everybody that helps us out over there. It means a lot, and we are very grateful for you. There's a top group that always goes above and beyond that supports us, and we're really grateful. Um, uh, that's Crabtree Creative, The Web Ranch Woodworks, Gretchen Hofer, Michael Manegin, Warren Works, Stu Morrison, Scott Orham, Odin Leather Goods, Rich at Lowen Designs, Grant at Dadcrafted, Chad's Custom Creations, Chad from Mancrafting, Works by Solo, Albers Woodworks, and Corey Ward. Uh, there's also people like Jacques Space. I don't know if I said your last name right. Jacques. But I like your name. I think it's cool. Uh, there's people at all different levels that that support the show, and they all get the after show, regardless of the level of support. So thank you to all of you. If you want to join that crew, go to patreon.com slash making it and help us out. We would appreciate yes. it. That would yes. be awesome. Thank you all Jimmy, uh, David t- ran away. I don't know where yeah. he went. So do you have something to recommend? Yeah, you know, I was just going through my stuff, and the other day – we've been at this now for 10 years, at least all of us. And Mm. there are certain people that, that aren't quite in the forefront. They're just not quite as uh, vocal, but they definitely need to be honored and remembered. And that would be Frank Hallworth. I got a chance to see Frank Mm. Hallworth at WorkbenchCon, and he looks like somehow he got 10 years younger. I don't know what he did to himself. I was like, what are you doing? I go, you look like, I guess he got slimmer. He just looks amazing. And so I compliment him. He's just giggling. You know, Frank doesn't talk much. He giggles a lot. And uh, like that's how he communicates. And he's just uh, he's just an incredibly talented guy. And he's still out there and he's still doing stuff. So don't forget about Frank Hallworth. Go check out Frank. If you don't know him, he's a wood turner and just an incredible inventor. Very playful in his day-to-day. And he, I've never seen anybody use a CNC machine as in-depth and as inventive as he has. Yeah, really fantastic. David, what'd you get? 
I have, um, well, I, I'm going to go to this week just because Jimmy brought it up, but somebody built a, uh, an EDM machine and they have a Kickstarter for a desktop EDM machine. Oh boy. Um, yeah. So basically he just made the power supply, which is very complicated. And then you can use an existing 3d printer or CNC to do the thing. So that is the first one that wasn't going to be a recommendation, but since Jimmy brought that up and then the other one is just this beautiful, satisfying video to watch is the process of making elevator buttons. So that's a high, uh, it's a button factory in Japan that makes elevator buttons. And it's just, there's <laughs> wow. no, there's no, yeah, there's no talking in it. Uh, there's captions. They have like closed captioning that kind of walk you through what they're, what they're doing. But it's just really cool to see elevator buttons being made. Interesting. Okay. Well, hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'm not really sure about that. I, I want to check that out just because I don't really know what to expect with that one. <laughs> um, I was looking through my history and I have not watched anything new. Did I talk about smart classical piano? Probably not. I don't, I don't think know so. that I would have. So I did mention a while back that I've been trying to learn this classical piece, Claire de Lune which is uh, difficult and giving me a lot of trouble. And I've switched over trying to learn something else right now. Um, But there's, I found this channel called Smart Classical Piano. And it's this guy, I don't know what his name is. Probably should have known that. But he does, um, he's like a, like a performance piano player. Like he's amazing. And so he does these really deep dives on songs and he'll do an entire song or he'll do a little section of a song and then he'll do live streams. And so I've been watching the one, the live stream he did that's like an hour long about how to play Claire de Lune. And he breaks down each piece of it, talks about like the way to, which, what fingers to use to make it flow. But then he's also talking about the intention of the person writing the music. They wanted this part to be the thing that floats above the rest of it. And they wanted this part to, you know, the tempo to go in and out in this way. And it's just, it's really interesting as someone who plays piano to get a different perspective. It's not just about hitting the notes on the right time. It's the expression of the whole thing. And so I'm learning a lot from him. And if you're a piano player, you know, who wants to kind of get a different perspective on certain songs, whether you know them or not, it's pretty good stuff. Um, So it's smart classical piano. And if you're not a piano player, then I don't know, maybe it's not useful at all to you. But I've been watching him a bit lately. I have not been watching much of anything else, which is kind of weird but we've been heads down in this uh this course stuff can i can i uh say a pet peeve of course uh how come elevator buttons don't have the number to the floor on the button they're always next to the button and maybe this is a hard time for you what floor to go to (laughs) i noticed that when i was in atlanta every time i went to go type the floor i would push the button i would push the number not the button I literally, like, I, my finger would scan, like, floor 10, and I'd hit the button. I'd hit the actual number 10. Not, well, I mean, not it'd probably be so that they can manufacture the same button for every floor yeah. of every elevator rather than... Yeah, I mean, I know it seems like a practical thing, but it's so annoying. Because you get in an elevator from, like, the 1940s, and it's got, like, a beautiful Art Deco number 10, and, and you go to push it, and then the 10 lights mm-hmm. up. But now it's, like, all these mechanical 
buttons next to all these mechanical stick-on floor numbers. <laughs> and they're like just far enough away where you're like, am I supposed to hit the button on the left side of the number or the button on the right side of the number? Oh. And you got your Here, brain I'm- has to go all the way to the right side to see like which side the, of the row of buttons the numbers are on and then apply that to the next row, the next row, the next row if you're in a high floor number. And then all of a sudden you're like landing on the wrong floor. That's it. I'm done. I just I just texted you a, an image. There's um I've I've seen these images before of oh, elevator that's, elevator that's exactly button confusion. What that's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Well, this is oh a, this goodness. is old and new. This is a combination of old and new. <laughs> that's um, hilarious. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> Terrible. Right, but you cool. can tell they just go like, "Oh, give us a give us a thirteen floor panel, uh, thirteen floor button setup, and then uh, you know a bucket of numbers, and we'll, we'll stick them in the right spot." Yeah, that's just, yeah you just punch that's that the into the way. AI, and that's what the AI spits out. <laughs> yeah, it gives you this thing that you just <laughs> sent the picture. There's no human element. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We well, can complain more about that in the after show, which we're going to go do right now. Thanks for listening, yeah. everybody. Love See you. Next thank time. you. Thank you. Love you.